I'm Sarah Lippman. Welcome to Torati Mechanach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today we will be learning Divrei Hayamim, Chronicles, Volume 1, Chapter 15. Except where otherwise noted, the ideas in today's class are based on the teachings and principles for teaching of Rav Moshe Eisman of Baltimore in his magnificent commentary in the Art Scroll Divrei Hayamim and in many recorded classes for which I am deeply grateful. Errors and misunderstandings are entirely my own. Now in chapter 15, we return to the Aron, the Ark of the Covenant, which has spent three months in the home of Ovid Edom, filling the home with abundant blessings. Verses 1 and 2. Vaya'aslo batib be'ir David, and he made for himself houses in the city of David. Vaya'chen makom la'aron ha'elokim, and he prepared a place for the Ark of God. Vayetlo ohel, and he spread a covering for it. Az amar David lo lases as Aron ha'elokim, and then David said that no one was to carry the Ark of God but the Leviim. For it was they whom God had chosen to carry the Ark of God, and to serve before him forever. This, of course, is a reference to the disaster with Uzzah and the Torah's teaching in the book of Bamidbar, chapter 7. The descendants of Kehas, of the tribe of Levi, were not given any wagons for their work because their holy work was in carrying the items on their shoulders. When David left the Aron, the Ark, in the home of Ovid Edom, the verse says, Vayira David esa Elohim bayom hahu. And David feared the Lord on that day, Lemor, He chavi Elias Aron ha Elohim, saying, How can I bring God's Ark to me? Rav Moshe Eisman explains, based on the Malbim, in one terrible moment, the joyous love of God which had animated David when he first initiated the transfer of the Ark was transmuted into inhibiting fear, born out of an all-pervading awareness of the smallness of man and the awesome weight of responsibility he shoulders when he chooses to stand in the presence of the divine. And David feared God on that day. Sometimes, through thoughtlessness, distraction, or just a plain mistake, Nothing you can say or do seems like it'll be enough to repair the damage. And we can feel crushed by the weight of that sense of responsibility. So what happens next? Or, as Ruvain said when he found Yosef's pit empty, The child's not there. And I, where can I go? Where can I turn? How did David find the courage to try again? Says Rav Moshe Eisman, in the book of Shmuel, the catalyst is shown to be the bracha, the blessing which pours into Ovid Edom's family, hosting the Aaron. And it was told to King David, saying, Hashem has blessed the house of Ovid Edom and all that is his in the merit of the Ark of God. So David went and brought the Ark of God up from the house of Ovid Edom to the city of David in joy. Here in Divri Hayamim, however, where the essence of events is traced, the catalyst is painted a little differently. And he built for himself houses in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the Ark of God. What are these houses, and in what way do they bear on David's readiness to bring up the Aaron? The Midrash in Bamidbar Rabbah 4 wonders about Oved Edom's name. Why was his name Oved, literally one who serves? Because he served God appropriately, as he should. And why was his name Edom, literally red? Because he caused David to flush red with embarrassment. David feared the Aron, lest it cause him to die, 
while Ovid Edom served God by caring for the Aron, and God blessed him. When David returned home, his advisor Achitophel said to him, David, you should have learned from the simple verse that even the children know, Leviam must carry the Aron, not Kohanim, and Leviam must carry it on their shoulders, not in a wagon. When David looked at Ovid Edom, he thought, not only is Ovid Edom living in proximity without getting zapped, he's treating the Aron with basic respect, keeping a candle lit before the ark, sweeping, keeping the room clean. And for these simple acts of service, God is sending him abundant blessings. Why can't that be me? David wondered. And as he came to understand where he had gone wrong, presuming himself an expert in God's laws so as to become a little careless, he burned with shame. As the sages teach us, shame, harata, is the foundation upon which true repentance is built. The shattering awareness of inadequacy isn't what prevented David from trying again. It was what motivated David to shake himself up, to know himself better, and to understand how to try again and do better than before. So what's with the houses then? A clue may be in the verb vaya'as lo batim, he made for himself houses. The expected verb here would be vayiven, and he built, not and he made. This exact construct appears in one other place in Tanakh, it's in Shmos chapter 1, verse 21, describing how God rewarded the midwives who defied Pharaoh and continued caring for the newborn babies and their mothers. Vaya'as lahem batim, God made houses for them. We understand this does not refer to brick-and-mortar houses, it refers to homes over time. As Rashi says, family dynasties of Kohanim priests, Levium, and royalty. The midwives' reward was that Aharon, father of all Kohanim, and David, father of all royalty, were descended from them. Aaron and David are very naturally the children born of women, so committed to supporting the growth of Jewish homes, even at great personal risk. It's certainly an interesting parallel that in Shemos, regarding the midwives, the Torah says, And it was that because the midwives feared God, he made for them houses. And here, when the reward of those houses comes into full bloom, the verse says, David David feared God on that day, and then picks up the thread here in our chapter with, And he, God, made for him homes. The Maharal in his commentary, Gur Arye on Shemos, defines the metaphorical aspect, or perhaps it's really the essential aspect, of a bais, a house. A bais is a shelter, a constant, reliable shelter. A person extends their personal space in order to create a safe space in which they and their family can grow and develop. Thus, a royal dynasty is called a house, as in Beis David, the house of David, because it includes within it all those subjects who are being protected by the king, and also the children raised by the king to become stewards of the people's safety. Vaya'as lo batim. David established his home, his personal home, with wives and children worthy of succeeding him, and his royal home, his permanent position as king, fulfilling and continuing the care for the nation exemplified by his ancestresses, Yocheved and Miriam, the midwives in Egypt. And he realized if Ovid Edom can care for the Aron respectfully and safely, surely I can learn to do that too. In verse 3, David assembles representatives of all of Israel at Yerushalayim to bring up the ark, the Aaron of God, 
to its place Asher Hechin Lo, which he had prepared for it. In verses 4 through 14, we hear of the gathering of Levium from each of the ancestral families of the tribe of Levi. Verse 15 tells us that Levium carried the Ark of God as Moshe had commanded, in accordance with the work of God, on their shoulders by the poles of them. Verses 16 and 24 tell us that the Levium organized into their musical roles as singers, composers, instrumentalists, and conductors. In verse 17, we learn, Vayamidu Halavim, that the Levium set forward, Es Heman ben Yoel, Uminechav Asaf ben Berechiahu, Umin bnei Merari Achihem, Esan ben Kushiahu. These men, Heman, Asaf, and Esan, are the main singers who arranged and led the music in honor of the Aaron and in honor of the service in the temple. Their names are familiar to us even today as authors of selected chapters of Tehillim, Psalms. Verses 20 and 21 describe the functions of a second group of musicians. Verse 22 tells us that Hananyahu was the Sar Halavim, the director of the Levium, Bamasa, with the music. Yasor Bamasa, he conducted the music. Kimevinhu, because he was an expert. Masa refers to music, but it literally means something which is lifted up. Radak and Mitsudos connect these ideas by noting that in music, the voice or sound is raised. Raubag and Malbim focus on the fact that Masa is specific to choral music, that which is sung. And since the songs of the Levium were in praise of Hashem, they were spiritually uplifting. While the use of the word Masa to mean song seems to be unique to Divrei Hayamim, in other places it's often used to mean a prophecy, for example, in the first verse of Nahum, Masa Ninveh, and there are seven times where Bilam's prophecies in the book of Bamidbar are described as Vayisa, and he lifted up. Radak here suggests that Masa may refer to Nivua, prophecy. Hananyahu directed the music because he was chief among the Levite prophets. And finally, verses 25 through 29 describe the procession, David, the Kohanim, the priests, the Levium, the elders, and the representatives of all the tribes, accompanying the Aaron up to Yerushalayim, in joy and song. Verse 26 tells us, Vayihi bezar ha'elokim es ha'levium. God assisted, he helped the Levium, who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Nothing went wrong. No one stumbled or fell. No one misjudged or lacked respect. No one got hurt. And more significantly, our sages say, here we can see that God is assisting the bearers of the ark. The Aron carries those who carry it. Isn't that so even today? The Aron, the Torah, is a tremendous responsibility for us to carry. And there's a lot of weight. There's a lot of duties. There's a lot of details. And yet, if we carry that responsibility with gravity and care and respect, isn't it true that the Torah carries us even more than we carry its weight? And isn't it so that the joy and safety of the Torah's strength is the warmest, most supportive space of all? And in verse 27, Va'al David ephod bad, and David wore a linen ephod. An ephod is a type of garment that wraps around. Bo ur say our sages, come and see. David could have walked in front of the ark dressed in his usual royal raiment. Instead, he wore begadim na'im, suitable clothing, in honor of the ark. The commentators explain, David was wearing the same simple linen ephod that the Levium were wearing. 
it was the right kind of clothing for a person who's coming to serve God, to honor God's covenant, someone who is not seeking their own honor. I'd like to conclude our study of this chapter by taking another look at verse 2, where we read, David ki Hashem And David knew that God had firmly established him as king. This word, hechino, means prepared or set up firmly or established. And by looking at that word, we discover that there's actually an extensive series of uses of the verb lehachin, to prepare or establish, that shows up with remarkable frequency in Divrei Hayamim. The first instance that I noted, and I'm going to say now, this is not a scientific or rigorous investigation, is at the end of chapter 12, in verses 40 and 41, the people who had come to Hebron to crown David king remained there for three days, eating and drinking, because their brothers had prepared for them. That last phrase is a little surprising. It's hard to know what to make of it, though. Why emphasize the uninspiring preparations made for feeding the crowd? And here in chapter 14, David comes to know that God has prepared or established him as king. And as we look ahead in chapters 15, 16, 17, all the way through to 29, we find that the second half of this volume is almost entirely about hachana, preparation. Here in chapter 15, it's about David preparing the place for the Aaron in Yerushalayim. That was in verses 1 and 3 and 12. And in chapter 17, it's going to be about God's promise to prepare or establish David's kingship as an eternal dynasty through David's son Shlomo. You can see verses 11, 14, and 24 for examples of that. In chapter 22, there'll be a mix of David's preparations for the construction of the Beis HaMikdash, a holy temple, and God's assurance that the royal house will continue. See verses 3, 5, 10, and 14. Chapters 28 and 29 also use this term, Hachinosi, I have prepared, at least three times, to express David's efforts to have the Beis HaMikdash ready to build at the first possible moment. And in and around and all between, it's all the planning and preparation itself. What is the message in all of this? Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, in his commentary on Tehillim chapter 89, says, Hechin means both to activate and to establish. Thus, the word may be used as in to set a foundation, Mikdash Hashem Konenu Yadecha, or to prepare for a purpose, Ata Hachinosa, or a pedestal or a base upon which something can sit securely, Es Hakior Ve'eskino. Even the word Cain, yes, or Achin, is surely so. Nachon, correct, or correctly positioned. The underlying meaning being to prepare foundations ahead of time so that what is built can be stable and lasting. Thus, hachana, preparation, is the work you do before you do the work itself. Hachana means you care enough about the job, you think it's worth extra effort ahead of time. You don't just play it by ear. You don't say, I'm sure it'll work out just fine. You start early so you can get more done. You have time for more detailed planning and production. Think about a bride planning her wedding, or a family remodeling the kitchen, or an inventor creating a new startup company. When you're eager to start, you talk about it, you visualize it, you brainstorm new ideas, you draw pictures, you save money, you shop around for the best supplies and contractors and inspiration. Hachana, the initial planning and preparation, the investment of effort, that's the secret to any very successful endeavor. But most important, hachana is not the glamorous part of the project. It's not the place where you savor your success. Hachana is earthy, it's hands-on, it's messy. It's the shopping and the chopping and the cooking. It's the hoeing and the plowing and the planting. 
the editing and the rewriting, the waiting and the saving. When it's put to a higher purpose, hachana is elevated and elevating. Thus, people prepared food for their visitors in Hebron. But that became Simcha B'Yisrael, a real occasion for joy when David was coronated. So here in chapter 15, before we begin to learn about the extensive preparations for the building of the Holy Temple, we learn about specific preparations for housing the Aron, the Ark, in Jerusalem. The importance of preparing a place for the Aron cannot be overestimated. It is the holiness of the Aron that provides the holiness for the Temple Mount and the Beis HaMikdash as a whole. To the extent that when Shlomo, the son of David, built the Holy Temple, he also built a maze of hidden places underneath the temple in which the Aron could be hid should circumstances require it. And it was in the days of Yoshiahu the king that he commanded, and they hid the Aron in the place prepared by Shlomo. Thus it was that even though the Aron was not present in the Holy of Holies during the Second Temple era, it was in an underground Holy of Holies, still the source of Kedusha of holiness for the Temple. Even today, the holiness, the Kedusha of the Temple Mount, and the Western Wall, the Kosel, are a function of the continued and ongoing presence of the Aron, deep within the maze of tunnels underneath the Temple Mount. It's really interesting that we see that there are two kinds of houses that are being built, each one meant to be eternal, each one meant to be a home for God's presence to be manifest. We have David's labor of love, his intensely focused efforts to build an eternal home for God, the Beis HaMikdash, and God's promise of love to build from David's family a bias, a royal destiny in which God's presence can be manifest. These two houses, one architectural, one dynastic, both require a lot of hachana, a lot of preparation. We might say there's one home where God welcomes man. There's another home where man welcomes God. They live on across the centuries. The fortunes of these two houses will wax and wane together. They're fully entwined, but God's promise keeps them alive forever. Flames that never quite flicker out entirely, ready to flare up again when time and conditions allow for it. The Kedusha, the holiness, is just as alive as it ever was, somewhere deep on the mountain of God in Jerusalem. With God's help, we'll continue learning about the transfer of the Ark to Jerusalem in the next chapter, chapter 16. Thank you for learning together with me, Le'ilui Nishmas Rose Foreman, Rachel Rachel Bas Arieleib, and Rachel Zeitlin.